Hey gang, Tom Mullen here. Do you have a child who spends more time than you'd like in front of screens consuming low quality content? Well, you can turn that screen time into something fun and worthwhile. I'm talking about mini coders, an educational game-based platform including companion apps made for kids with video tutorials, virtual assistant, and games where kids learn coding skills while they play in the Roblox metaverse, all under the safety and guidance of a virtual assistant and in-game tutors. Minicoders is perfect for homeschooled, unschooled, or traditionally schooled children alike and helps them build 21st century skills and have a ball doing so. Right now, you can try out Minicoders with no obligation by registering for a free trial at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Minicoders. That's M-I-N-I-C-O-D-E-R-S. Again, just visit TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Minicoders and start your free trial today. Every revolution starts in the minds of the people. Arm yourself for the war of ideas. Take back your life. Take back your liberty. Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. I apologize for not getting an episode out on Monday the 28th. There was the confluence between business travel and a minor family emergency. I'm happy to say that everything is okay. And I wanted to take some time to just talk about both what's going on in Ukraine since the Russian invasion and also what's going on in the American and Western media, as well as on social media, in terms of how people are reacting to what I can only call the most outrageous propaganda campaign that I've ever seen. And this is in light of the COVID propaganda campaign that we've withstood for the past two years. People that have been following my writing for several years know that I've been writing about the situation in Ukraine and Syria for a number of years now, and I just recently put a piece out that's gone somewhat viral. I'm getting a lot of requests to be interviewed myself. I'll be jumping on to one later this afternoon, and that piece was called Putin is Not at War with Ukraine. And it links back to a piece I wrote in 2016, just before the election, when I was trying to make the case that Hillary Clinton had disqualified herself from consideration by taking the position that the United States should put up a no-fly zone over Syria at a time when both Russia and the United States were involved in the Syrian civil war. And of course, putting up a no-fly zone means that if the Russian pilots violate it, we'd be shooting down Russian planes. And for reasons that should be obvious to Hillary Clinton, and thank goodness are obvious to Joe Biden, we cannot go to war with Russia. Russia cannot go to war with China. China cannot go to war with India. Nuclear powers cannot go to war against each other because wars are a fight to the death. Somehow in our bubble here in America, we seem to have forgotten that a war doesn't stop until somebody surrenders and the other side accepts their surrender. And as the people in Hiroshima and Nagasaki learned at the end of World War II, the enemy doesn't always accept your surrender when you're ready to surrender yourself. 
So we cannot risk a war with Russia. This should be obvious to everybody. And I think it's just a matter that we have grown so numb and desensitized to what a war is really like over here in America, because they don't occur in America. No cities get bombed in America. Even the average bombing campaign when we don't have troops on the ground devastates the people that we inflict this upon. We have no idea what war is like. Even combat veterans, to some extent, although they are there and they're facing enemy fire, it's always what they call in-country. Did you ever notice that expression, I was in-country? What does that mean? I was in someone else's country. Okay, so we have no idea what it's like to have a war on our own soil, come home to find our own neighborhood reduced to rubble, or some of our loved ones lying under the rubble. And this is the reality of war, even conventional war. And of course, a nuclear war would be so much more devastating. So no, the United States, of course, is not going to intervene militarily in Ukraine. I'll give Joe Biden at least enough credit that he's held firm on this. Notice that there are some voices in Washington insane enough to try to pressure him to do more when we're talking about an extinction level event if things go wrong with intervention in Ukraine and against Russia. So getting back to the propaganda that is being put out in terms of Russia's actions in this war and how it's going on the ground there. First of all, of course, the invasion by Russia is being characterized as totally unprovoked. And for absolutely no reason, they say, Russia has gone into Ukraine. Now, I think everybody knows that's not true. Of course, we've been watching Vladimir Putin, who's been in power now for over two decades, and this is not something that he just does on the whim of an afternoon. He stated his reasons very clearly for why he went in there. Now, is it justified? You'll never find me out there cheerleading a war on. I think they can always be avoided. And it's very regrettable that it came to this. But I will say this much. Putin's invasion of Ukraine is a lot more defensive and a lot more justifiable than any war fought by the U.S. government in my lifetime. So if that's unpatriotic, I guess I'm sorry, not sorry on that one, because it just happens to be true. And if you think back, well, which war was more justified than Putin's invasion of Ukraine? Let's talk about a few of the reasons. Now, the overarching reason, as he said for many years, and as he stated in the two speeches that he made regarding this invasion, which I'll link to on the show notes page, NATO has expanded from its original borders in 1990, which were basically the old Cold War borders, after the Soviet Union fell, and after George H.W. Bush and others promised Gorbachev that NATO would not expand one inch eastward, it's done exactly the opposite. The United States and NATO broke that promise. Now, the United States and NATO denied making that promise for many decades until the documents that clearly prove it was made were declassified, and now we know they were lying. They were lying to the Russians, who knew they were lying, and they were lying to us. Yes, there's now an excuse that says we never signed a treaty saying we wouldn't move eastward. Okay, if that justifies what you've done, then why did you lie for two decades about it? Wouldn't have to lie if you weren't doing something wrong. Back in 2008, the George W. Bush administration 
that's Bush too, declared an intention to admit Georgia and Ukraine into NATO. And of course, there were immediately suspicious color revolutions in both countries that everybody who is honest with themselves will admit were started by the United States intelligence community, probably the CIA working with the State Department, because this is a familiar pattern. And they were unsuccessful. And Putin went into Georgia and put down the rebellion. So the U.S. efforts to get both of those countries to come into NATO were unsuccessful. Of course, George W. Bush couldn't do anything about this. He couldn't go to war. He couldn't send troops in there against the Russians for the same reason Biden can't send troops in there today. What did he do? It was during the Olympics, if you remember when all this happened, and they interviewed Bush, who was on his way out after having presided over the financial meltdown, the housing bust, and the disastrous Iraq and Afghanistan wars. And he made some statements about how he told Putin that this is totally disproportionate, which I'm sure was keeping Putin up at night, who was trying to keep Georgia, by the way, the birthplace of Joseph Stalin and a border state, formerly part of the USSR, from becoming basically a NATO launch pad for missiles. And this is the same thing with Ukraine. This is nothing new. They've been trying to do this for many years. And really, since the fall of the USSR, the United States foreign policy goal has been to make sure that Russia remains weak. Now, whether this is because they want to control economic affairs, as some have argued, especially with the Eurasian continent and keep an integration from happening between Russia and Europe and China, or whether it's just this Hobbesian idea that only one superpower can exist and any other power that starts to rise must be kept down because it's a threat. Whatever the reasoning is, the United States has been antagonistic towards Russia, really without any just cause, since the fall of the Soviet Union. Now, make no mistake, I do believe the Soviet Union was, of course, an evil empire, and at one time, it did have ambitions to spread communism all over the world. That was declared, and it was very active in supporting communist regimes, including one in Cuba. And for anybody who thinks that Vladimir Putin had no reason to go into Ukraine, what do you say to John F. Kennedy, who took a rather aggressive stance towards missiles being put into Cuba? It's the same situation, obviously. There was some reason. Now, we can get philosophical and say, well, was it really aggression before any shots were fired by NATO? Look, Putin is not a libertarian. Joe Biden's not a libertarian. None of the leaders of Europe are libertarians. So we're not dealing with those rules here. We're dealing with the reality that there's no possible way that Russia was going to allow Ukraine to become a weaponized state against it with NATO missiles and NATO troops on the ground. Now, a lot of that has already happened. NATO has run military exercises inside Ukraine, marching down some of the same roads Hitler's Nazis marched down when invading in World War II. So it isn't like there isn't a lot of history with this area. And I did cover a lot of this in my article, so I don't want to relitigate the whole case but there was plenty of cause for Putin to go into Ukraine. You don't necessarily have to agree he should have done it, but it's not like it was done with no reason or that it was unprovoked. And I wanted to just really key in 
on the way the narrative is being spun here, especially as it concerns President Zelensky of Ukraine and this ridiculous, childish narrative that he's some kind of a war hero just because they showed a few pictures of him in an army helmet or a green shirt. This is a man who was just shelling his own citizens, civilian neighborhoods, I have seen film of what used to be houses covered in snow, no walls or ceiling anymore. Russian Ukrainians in the Donbass region picking through what used to be their houses saying, oh, this used to be my kitchen over here and this used to be my dining room. And they're basically homeless now because their houses have been leveled by shelling by this Zelensky, the wonderful war hero. So just think for a moment what went on in Ukraine in 2014. The United States participated in a revolution to regime change the elected president, and immediately the Donbass region and Crimea both declared their independence from the rest of Ukraine because it's populated by people who are ethnically Russians. They speak Russian. So where have we seen this before, by the way? How about Kosovo in the 1990s? Kosovo was a region of what was then Yugoslavia, but the Kosovo area was populated by almost exclusively ethnic Albanians, and they wanted to break away from the rest of Yugoslavia. And what did the president, Slobodan Milosevic, do? He tried to crush them. He made rather aggressive war against that area of his own country. Is this sounding familiar? And President Clinton of the United States decided that these were atrocities, that he was trying to ethnically cleanse the Albanians and all sorts of other charges. And the United States intervened on the side of seceding Kosovo against Yugoslavia. So in other words, Clinton did the same for Kosovo that Putin is now doing for the Donbass region and he's previously done for Crimea back in 2014. He intervened on behalf of the seceding states from Ukraine. So it seems to me like the reaction to Putin's intervention has been a little different than the reaction to Bill Clinton's. Why was that? Seems like the situation is rather the same, with the exception that Putin has a lot more cause, as I've said, because, number one, these are ethnic Russians, but more importantly, because this is right on his border. And it has been no secret that NATO is trying to weaponize Ukraine against Russia. I don't know. I didn't see anybody in any other country burning down a McDonald's like we're pouring out Russian whiskey here in the United States. So quite a different reaction, but really basically the same set of facts. So let's talk about Syria and what happened around the same time, just before the coup d'etat in Ukraine to put a pro-EU, pro-Western government in Ukraine There was also a coup d'etat first started and instigated by the American intelligence community in Syria to overthrow Bashar al-Assad. The United States went so far as to arm al-Qaeda in Syria against the Assad regime. That's how badly they wanted to get rid of Assad. And there's all kinds of reasons for this too. 
One of them that's often brought up is that Syria is a Shiite country and therefore a natural ally of Iran. And that's one of the reasons that they might want to regime change Syria and put some of those moderate rebels who are Sunnis into power. However, the real reason here is that Syria is an ally of Russia. And Russia has a very important port in Syria, the only one on the Mediterranean. They have none, of course, on the Atlantic. Warm water ports have been a historical challenge for Russia. And they have the one in Syria, as I mentioned. Where is the other one on this side of the Eurasian continent? Well, it just happens to be in Crimea, in Ukraine. And where are the two countries where the United States was running regime change operations for humanitarian reasons in the early 2010s? Ukraine and Syria. So you really have to ask yourself, what are you willing to believe? Do you really believe those were humanitarian operations? Or was there another reason that the United States, out of dozens and dozens of countries that atrocities are committed in, that these two would be where the United States decided to intervene. They run the uh, regime change in Syria. It is not successful. And here is another leader in a sovereign country, Bashar al-Assad, who is fighting not just citizens of his own country, but a whole lot of foreign countries, including the United States. Russia is there fighting on his side against the terrorists. And a lot of the terrorists are foreign imports as well. So, of course, he's not painted the way Zelensky is, is he? He's a brutal dictator for making war on his own people and killing hundreds of thousands of people. But Zelensky doing the same thing in the Donbass region, he's a hero. So who's kidding who here? And really, as I said before, the situation in Kosovo matches even more directly what was going on in Ukraine today, because while Assad was fighting a civil war against people who wanted to overthrow the government of Syria and take over the whole country, back in the 1990s, Milosevic was fighting a breakaway region, something like the Donbass, a region where although under the jurisdiction of his country, Yugoslavia, was populated with people who spoke a different language, had a different religion, ethnically they were different from the rest of the population. So they were going to break away. And Milosevic basically did the same thing that Zelensky did to the Donbass. But Milosevic was tried in the Hague for crimes against humanity. Zelensky's a hero. Again, you've got to stop swallowing the propaganda whole I'm not saying any of these people like Putin or anybody else are admirable figures, but neither are the people who work for the U.S. State Department and the intelligence community. I think right now they're the most evil organization on the planet. They're doing no service to the citizens that they supposedly represent. We're not better off for them meddling in Ukraine or Syria, or anywhere else, we'd be much better off if they didn't do any of this, if we didn't fight any of these wars, and we just engaged with trade with everybody. And let's not forget, at the end of the day, this is what they're trying to do. They're trying to interfere in peaceful trade and manage it for imperial reasons. I can't really come up with a better description. We're going to continue to be bombarded with this avalanche of propaganda I can't believe that any reasonable person honest with themselves 
could believe that everybody they're seeing on social media, every media network all say the same thing in the same words and that there's no dissent among anybody about what this conflict is all about. So I'll be talking about it a lot more. I have another angle I want to pursue regarding the Ukrainian situation on another episode, but Friday's episode will actually be an interview with Ryan S. Walters. He's got a new book out on Warren Harding, believe it or not. One of the presidents I talked about on my episode 41, the best and worst of the U.S. presidents, I had Harding up there among the best. And of course, he's often considered the worst, if not one of the two or three worst presidents by historians. So that's going to be a great episode on Friday. And of course, we'll be watching the situation in Ukraine. And I'll be back with more about that on Monday. Okay, friends, that's going to do it for today. If you haven't already, don't forget to download a free copy of my new ebook, It's the Fed Stupid, at itsthefedstupid.com. And if you like the music you've heard on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can hear more at tommullensings.com. Thanks for listening. The war of ideas has only just begun. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need by heading to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com and subscribing to our email list. And remember, every revolution starts in the minds of the people.